Good to have you on the panel, RNZ National, Palmjeet Pamar and Alan Blackman with me today. Now, while the unseasonal polar blast has most of us complaining and reaching for another layer, high up on a mountain above Queenstown, the powder hounds are celebrating. Snow has fallen across much of the South Island, dusting mountains further north and bringing bitterly cold temperatures. And what feels like a cruel irony, most ski fields shut up shop on Sunday. But at the Remarkables, they're open and rubbing their hands in glee. With us is Ross Lawrence, manager of Remarkables Ski Area. Ross, welcome to the panel. Kia ora, thank you. Yes, no, we're, we're, we're minus 10 outside today. <laughs> no, thank you. Today. Yeah. But everyone's, everyone's pretty wrapped up in love of that dry snow. They're pretty wrapped up and absolutely wrapped. Absolutely wrapped. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a... It's an interesting game. I mean, I get to this time of the year, and yes, we've got another what ten days to go here maximum. Um, thinking all anyone wants to see is sunshine and warm, clean, fine days. But um, midwinter is what we've got today, and you've got to you've got to enjoy winter right through winter. So yes, we're still loving it. Yeah, um, I hear that you had to dig yourself out of the snow this morning. What's it been like? Uh, the, yeah, it took a little bit. I mean, it was very cold. In fact, some of the machinery you have, which has winterized fuel in it. Uh, wasn't going so well this morning either, so that that took a bit of getting going for a start. I thought there was going to be, well, there was a bit of a delay in our operation just to get up and running, clearing snow off the road, avalanche control work out on the hill, getting lifts running, digging out on the deck as well. So we had about 50 centimetres of snow fall in the last 36 to 48 hours. Goodness. And, and most of that was last night or through the period of the last 24 hours. So, yeah, it's been, I mean, it's great to get open. It's great to see the enthusiasm of all the team up here. And then you get the public up here, guests up here going, wow, the winter is still here. <laughs> Good time. Yeah. yeah. Pamjit, are you a skier at all? No. Oh, yes. can, no, no. You can see me sitting here in my coat, warm coat. <laughs> so you so can imagine I'll be frozen. <laughs> you're an inside person, not a skier. What about you, Alan? Are you a skier, Alan? I'm a very, very bad skier. So I've never been to the Remarkables, uh, unfortunately. Just Cadrona, I think, is about the only yeah. one I've been to. But well, you've yeah. still got time. Oh, yeah, well, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, just flat out for the weekend. Have you ever known this much snow to fall this late in the season, Ross? Um, I'd have to be honest to say, without looking at the records, yes. Yeah, it, it, it is something. I mean, winter is upon us, and I, I know, I feel for farmers, certainly this time of the year, going into lambing and all that sort of thing. It's the last thing you want to see. But it does, I mean, it happens not on an annual basis, but it, probably a fairly regular basis, to be honest certainly in this part of the world, that will get snowfalls. Perhaps not 50 centimetres, but anything over 10 centimetres at low land or low, low level, should I say, uh, is, is a real uh, curse to the, to the farmer. Yeah. Uh, but for the winter people up here, it's certainly what we love to see. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's got to be said, a really mixed blessing, eh? you know, uh, really um, really bad for the farmers expecting crops at a certain time and, yeah. and and that type of thing. Really good for you. Wonderful for the little kids in, uh, in Dunedin who are making little snowmen, snow people, whatever. <laughs> that's right. School holidays are on, so yeah. it's great to be able to get the kids outside and something they enjoy. Good on you, Ross. Hey, uh, well done. Thanks for being with us. That's uh, Ross Lawrence, their manager of uh, Remarkable Ski uh, Area. And, um, hey, email me your photos. Uh, have you got a photo of a big snow dump? Email the panel at rnz.co.nz. Love to see some of them. I saw uh, someone, a student skiing, Palmjeet, 
in the middle of the Otago University campus. Mm. How amazing is that? Mm. That's really Quite something, amazing. Eh? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Twelve past four now to this. <clears throat> it's been a cold day on the picket line for thousands of university staff. 7,000 staff from the Tertiary Education Union took part in the first nationwide strike in 20 years. They want an 8% pay rise to keep pace with the cost of living. With us is Dougal McNeil, the Tertiary Education Union rep at Victoria University in Wellington. Dougal, kia ora. Kia ora, Wallace. Thank you for having me. Pleasure. You want 8%. What are you being offered? Well, it's varying from university, but we're a far way apart. Um, here at Victoria, tutors have been offered nothing. They're currently facing a zero offer. So there's a bit of work to go to get us get us somewhere where we need to be. Do you think there is any public sympathy for the strike? Well, one thing that's been really wonderful today has been the solidarity that students have shown. We had a rally here at Vic and lots and lots of students show, showed up. The support from VUS has been rock solid. Uh, our members are connecting across a range of communities, all the way from health and nursing through to law. Lots of people connecting with the universities there. So, yeah, we really feel it. And um, we're proud of the work we do. We think the universities are important public institutions and we want the senior leaders to value what's going on in them. Mm. I mean, of course, they really are uh, important and valued public institutions, but also institutions that are really doing it tough. Uh, some of them struggling. Some of them uh, tens of millions of dollars in the hole. And then this, you want an 8% pay rise. So there's well, some would say there's a gap. It's interesting, though, Wallace, when you say that they're struggling and that we wrote to the vice-chancellors suggesting tripartite talks with the government a couple of weeks ago, and they rebuffed us and said, actually, oh, for them, funding's not the issue and we may have different priorities. So I think the vice-chancellors might need to get their message straight. One day they're saying that actually funding's not the question. The other day they're crying poor. Let's sit down, let's bring the government in, let's have an actual conversation about funding the sector. But um, they cry poor every year. We carried things through COVID. I don't think it's a particularly unreasonable demand just to say we want things to keep up with the cost of living. All right. Palmjeet. Yeah, so um, Dougal, uh, keeping up with the cost of living and asking for 8% increase, I can see uh, the the rationale behind that. But what about tax cuts for the sector? Because it's all about having more money in your pocket and then those costs will not be passed on to students in, um, you know, um, in terms of student fee. Oh, well, I think we might be coming with slightly different philosophies here where I think actually <laughs> what we're looking at is investment in public education and we believe in public education and it's really vital. So the kinds of questions that are facing society at the moment all the way through from climate change to some of the really complex legal issues that came out of the lockdowns to questions around health, uh, mato ranga Māori, let's actually invest in this. There's valuable work going on in the universities. There's valuable research going on in the universities. And so... The sector, let's back it rather than thinking, I don't, I don't need a pay cut. It's not a pay cut I'm talking about here. Let's think about the sector and what it means to, to these, this country and what the country requires. But that money will come from somewhere, isn't it? The increase that you're asking for. Oh, I, well, like I said, we've got on record the Vice-Chancellor saying that there'll be different issues around funding. There's money gone in different places and large growth and, you know, very highly paid senior leadership roles and glassy new buildings, you know, that looks at downtown Auckland or, or Wellington in the last couple of years. So there's questions here about priorities as well as questions about money. All right. Now, um, Alan Blackman, <coughs> uh, disclaimer here, uh, you're a professor at 
AUT also uh, involved uh, in the strikes. What comments, questions mm. do you have around this issue? Yeah, <clears throat> well, I mean, you know, Dougal, I hear what you're saying. Um, we had a stop work meeting up here the other day, and um, the first order of business at the stop work meeting was whether or not um, the union members should strike for an 8% um, pay rise. The second order of business was the fact that the university is going to do away with 230 jobs, of which 150 are going to be academic positions. Um, I was dumbfounded that, um, that that was the second order of business. It seemed to me that the union had its priorities completely wrong. If the university is $21 million in the hock, which it is, surely we should be negotiating with the university to find a way through this, and if that involved some of the better paid people um, on the payroll, myself included, you know, I'd happily take a 5%, 10% pay cut or whatever if that meant that we were going to have jobs. Would you? Of, yes, would I, you're I, saying I that on record. Would. I absolutely would. And then, in better times, the university can get it back. You know, they can, they can pay us back. But for goodness sake, you don't strike for 8% when you're going to have... 230 people made redundant because what's the point of a pay rise if you haven't got a bloody job? All right, so Dougal, every university is different, but this is the voice of a person from AUT. Yeah, and all the voices are welcome. Thank you for that point of view. I've got a different point of view, I think, with AUT, where the idea that it's in the hock, if you actually look, they're posting a surplus. The way that the Vice-Chancellor there has talked about those cuts is around a so-called further vision. The good days never come. You yes, know, but, but if we can just wait, and so what we really need to say here, if there's such a crisis, sit down with the government, actually put the kind of individual jockeying interests of the vice chancellors to one side, sit down round the table with the government, with the unions, look at funding for the sector. Why would we make cuts at a university as important as AUT, doing the vital work that AUT does now to cause this long-term damage for a short-term problem? It's not a big claim to say we don't want to take an effective pay cut. But also, we can't be held to ransom by these threats of, of job cuts that are also doing long-term damage to the community. Let's final thought, final thought, Alan. Wider conversation. Yeah, I think... Um, yeah, I mean, I, I really don't know what to say. OK, um, well, click was, your thoughts there. Yeah, and uh, for yeah. now, Dougal Kiora, thanks very much for outlining Thank that issue. Yeah, that's right. Dougal McNeil there, Tertiary Education Union Rep at Victoria. Can I ask you an honest question? Can I ask you a question? Yeah, yeah. If you don't mind, don't yeah, have sure. to answer it. Yep. Is your job possibly on the line? Yes, absolutely it is. Yes. That's really sad. That's really sad. So, you know, you can imagine, um, yeah, things things aren't great at the moment. So um, we find out at the end of the month who's staying and who's going. You know, seems to me it's not an empty threat. You know. And he's a professor of chemistry. We need more and more people get getting into sciences. We talk about science, innovation, and all that stuff. So where's that going to come from? 19 past form, the panel, RNZ National. It's school holidays, and some Auckland principals are worried that many of their students won't turn up for the start of term form. They say more and more teenagers are leaving school early, taking low-paid jobs and selling themselves short. It's part of a trend that started last year. So how do we keep our young in school? With us is Faye Amaral, Youth Town Chief Executive. He's been looking at this issue quite closely, working on it. Uh, kia ora, Faye. Kia ora. And now, is this something that you're noticing, a noticeable rise in children, or kids rather, 
uh, young people choosing to leave school early? Yes, and like you said, it's been exacerbated by COVID, but it has, of course, been happening for um, quite a while. Why do you think they're choosing not to finish school? I think there's a lot of reasons, and it's quite a complex issue, but uh, some of the top reasons that we're hearing are um, sustenance and the need to support the family, so some of it's genuine economic need. Um, some of it is, uh, I think, a real concern for us, which is not understanding what opportunities there are um, for them if they continue in school and possibly believing that um, the better option is to just get on with it and go find a job and, you know, get get some money and get some income. Um, I think a lot of it is around more complex societal um, issues, which is embedded in the education support system around career guidance and um, what are those next steps, what are those subject choices looking like, which is, is again, quite a complex issue. And then, of course, family support and um, what's the family saying? Yeah, it's 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 interesting because I can, I'm just trying to think of my mind when I was thinking of actually leaving school and what was then the sixth form instead of the seventh form. It's such a final issue, isn't it, Faye? You know, when you decide to leave, um, in a sense, that's it. Yes, it, it, and it shouldn't be, and it and yeah. it doesn't have to be, but it's presented that way, of course. Yeah. All right, let's start with you now, Alan. Yeah, um, I mean, this obviously has impacts for the university sector because we rely on well, that's right. lots of um, students coming through. And, you know, the fact that one in five students leave under the age of 17 and a third of all leavers have no qualifications or just level one NCEA, that just says there's something horribly, horribly wrong with the system, doesn't it? Um, you know, I, I, I realise right at the moment that unemployment, um, as Pamjeet said, you know, is, is, is very low. So obviously students can, you know, walk out and pretty much get a job at any odd time. But, you know, it's the, it's the whole short-term gain thing, isn't it? And, 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 you know, for me, hearing that students have to leave school to support their family, taking jobs to support their families, gosh, what, is, what has happened to this country? Faye. Yes, uh, look, I think it is. It's quite desperate and those statistics are scary and the transition report um, talks to that. Um, interestingly enough, uh, in, in my own personal capacity, my PhD is around transitioning out of school and school leavers and oh. um, it's a pretty uh, pretty difficult space and we're not, we're not preparing them well. So I think um, to the point that one in five is a is a is a big problem. Mm. Um, we should be having a much better better ratio. Um, that part employment is also an issue for youth. So they're getting part jobs. They're not getting whole jobs or full time jobs, as we would say. Mm. And um, I think the other thing is just that perspective that so many of them will talk to. We had a quick focus group the other day. And many of them said, oh, I'll just get a job. I'll just get a job. And when I said to them, okay, imagine there was no barrier. Imagine that you could do what you really want to do. And the saddest outcome from that focus group, which was a group of young men, um, mainly Pacifica Māori, who were talking um, about their next year, which is kind of between leaving school at year 11, year 12, or year 13. And when I said to them, no barriers, anything that you want, what do you want to do? Mm. It wasn't like they were looking for something 
outstanding or amazing or out of this world. They were saying things like, I want to be an engineer, but I don't have a UE. Um, I want to work on high-performance cars, but, like, how do I get there? Um, I want to do coding. I'm really interested in gaming. So there were very realistic opportunities in, in our world. But for them, it seemed like completely out of their reach. All right, Palmji. Yeah. So stories like, you know, a delivery boy becoming an owner of a supermarket, those kind of stories are quite rare. So not every delivery boy is going to become an owner of a supermarket. Education definitely is needed to back them and, um, you know, help them have those choices. So, Ophi, I was thinking, is it something that we should um, think that uh, to avoid that kind of clash with work hours, that we provide options like distance learning or online learning to these students? Because then at least uh, we have given them a choice to continue with their education. Absolutely. And I think there's some really big things that we could do that are action on the ground and, and probably um, can really tackle that. So online is one, although we do know from some of our young people, they really struggled with that. So probably the group of young people we're talking about who are dropping out they found online learning extremely challenging, and it's one of the reasons why we had those big dropouts after COVID. But night school is a great option. Um, it's an option that's used globally, um, that if people need to be in employment full-time or in, in, in significant employment, that you provide them opportunities to go to night school. Correspondence school with learning support. So um, one of the things that Youth Town that we're really keen to try and start up is a bit of an eat my lunch model around tutoring or learning support. So how do we work with these young people and and get them to see those opportunities or to discover those pathways to uni, which doesn't have to be a straight line. Very good to have you on, Faye. Kia ora, thank you for your time. Uh, Really interesting discussion, that very important one, isn't it? Faye Amaral there, who is the Youth Town uh, Chief Executive. Quite a bit of response, actually, from the previous uh, story that was about university staff cuts. Sorry, university, the the university protest, rather. The first time in 20 years. Uh, Kia ora, Wallace, I'm an AUT lecturer. For me and many of my colleagues, this is not about money in our pockets. It's about ensuring quality education for future generations of education. A road staffing today... Tomorrow, we will have less qualified and able graduates to do essential jobs. Underpinning the redundancies is years of inadequate funding that have made the universities reliant on international Mm. fees for their operating budgets. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. And um, I, so think there are, I think there are some universities who've put a cap on the number of international students, which, you know, now seems a very sensible thing to do. You know, we can't be reliant on, on overseas fees. We just can't. But I was reading in Australia, I think it's about the fifth largest foreign currency earner, I think, is, is education. You know, it's, it's massive. Yeah. <laughs> 27 past four. Just a word on this. An item about overthinking... Got me thinking, in part because overthinking is so very common. It's like a thought that plays on continuous loop, and overthinking can escalate over time, and it's very hard to remove that thought from your head, and it's especially acute. An echo chamber of chaos, as it's been called. <laughs> a study in 2001 found that the majority of people worry about things that never end up happening. Uh, around the panel this one, um, Palmjeet, everyone can relate to an earworm of a thought that won't leave your head for hours and hours, sometimes days. What about you? How do you handle difficult situations? Mm. What, what, can you relate to this? Yeah. I mean, you have a segment, I've been thinking, but 
it's not Very i've been good. overthinking <laughs> <laughs> so uh, um yeah so i think it just depends and it's not like we can generalize it it's it's not like a general human nature because some people uh i know in my own family that some people if something has happened they very quickly move on they'll just say oh it's happened we can't change it move on to the next thing but for me i think about it why it happened that way why it didn't yeah. happen the other way and then i keep thinking until i find an answer but then i move on after i have found an answer so until that point even when physically you see me doing other things my mind is busy thinking about that other situation which happened maybe yesterday or day before yesterday but i uh, for me it's really important to find an answer once i found an answer i can move on but without that without the thinking that critical analysis in my head i i can't move on i'm not like interesting so you yeah. need that solution you, don't, you can't solution. you can't you don't you don't go you don't you can't just go well it is what it is uh, yeah i can't do that yeah, yeah i can't do that alan oh boy <laughs> where do i start jeez oh, well, well, well <clears throat> no, thank you for being honest about um the prospect of losing your job mm. and i'm really sorry to hear that mm. but can i just say two things a thanks for turning up today oh, and no. b um you must be overthinking right now oh yeah yeah oh yeah absolutely yeah i'm not not sleeping too well i'd have to say um yeah i mean i i suffer really really badly from anxiety and i had a couple of panic attacks about i don't know about 15 or so years ago and my life hasn't been the same since and so i can't fly by myself um i basically can't be alone by myself it's just it's it's terrible it, it, it is just crippling crippling anxiety um so i know all too well about these thoughts that go round and round and round in your head um yeah good heavens yeah no it's it, it it's awful so if anybody's got some coping mechanisms out there i'm all ears well email me please mm. for alan and us the panel at rnz.co.nz um wow <laughs> so before we go to the headlines you can't be alone basically yeah yeah and i don't know what it is but it's just the fear of a fear of i don't know which is weird it, it sounds like it, make, it makes absolutely no sense and you look at it in the cold light of day and it makes no sense yeah. but when in the middle of the night uh, yeah very so. well cured up ellen thanks for being uh We're sharing your uh, feelings and thoughts with us. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Well, you're with us. You're with Parmji Pamar, for what it's worth, and what was happening. Anyway, uh, you're on the panel, RNZ National.